0: Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the November 21st, 2023 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, my guest for the full hour is Lisa Bunker, writer, transgender activist, former New Hampshire state legislator and fellow community radio aficionado. Based now in Sacramento, they are currently on the book tour circuit with their latest book, Almond, Quartz, and Finch, published by New Wind. On the interview menu, we're going to cover all those things. We'll be right back, folks, with Lisa Bunker. Don't go away. welcome back to the show my guest for the full hour is lisa bunker whose reinventions many callings are a testament to sharp vision and savvy execution. I had the pleasure of meeting them eight or nine years ago at a national community radio broadcast conference where they, on many levels, demonstrated their flair for managing non-commercial radio, a medium good at punching above its weight. I'm, actually, I've been saying that more and more about it. At about that time, they were capping the 30-year radio career in Portland, Maine. They went on to publish, including Rainbow Novels for Young Readers, Felix Wise, and Zenobia July. Now their latest is Almond, Quartz, and Finch, just out this month, and about which they must fill us in. Lisa is a longtime trans activist, and from 2018 to 2022, they represented the town of Exeter in the New Hampshire House of Representatives. They know this country, having resided in New Mexico, L.A. area, Seattle, the Florida Panhandle, Maine, and New Hampshire. I kind of looked over my shoulder because those are all those places I've been, except, well, maybe not New Mexico. <laughs> Sacramento, California, is now home with their spouse, Dawn, an expert on anxiety and children and an author in her own right, and their th- three grown children. Lisa completed a Bachelor's of Arts in English from Pomona College and a Master's of Arts in English from the University of Washington. Lisa uses they/them pronouns as well as three. They have created and include in writing. Vo van ver. I'll focus. With care on the former, and apologies where this boomer fails. I've failed so much, and I own the failure, so uh, flaws flaws on live radio, for for goodness sake. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Lisa Bunker.
1: Hi, Claudia. It's amazing to be with you. I'm having total community radio flashback
0: okay well that's well that's good that's good and i i'm the subordinate in this relationship i don't mind saying because lisa's just done amazing stuff and i it, at that national community radio broadcast conference lisa did do a live performance at the moth hour and i've i've just i've just so i'm such a stan from ever 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 since then well first lisa let's start with the book tour portion just reminding listeners and letting lisa know when i interview authors no spoilers as i i probe them so there we'll proceed so now speaking
1: for for my fellow authors thank
0: you okay please (laughs) absolutely so let's lisa first talk about your intended reader i don't know if people first look at the cover and they think this is some kind of a fantasy genre that maybe has a, a a limited kind of readership but let's talk about the readers you're trying to reach and the genre that you've chosen i've already said fantasy but that's not a spoiler.
1: right um this is actually something of a puzzle you know categories for books are a puzzle um I've written a story that takes place in a long ago, far away land, so to that extent, it is a fantasy. You know, I made up a couple of of cultures and I invented languages and I imagined where they were in in the development of technology and so on like that, so that much is fantasy. But there's no magic, there's no dragons, there's no non-human characters. Once you're in that imaginary land, long ago and far away, everything that happens is human story. So there's a power struggle, you know, some palace intrigue, there's some family drama, there's some culture strife. So I'm. It, it's hard to know where to place that in the sort of standard accepted categories, because when you say fantasy, people think dragons, they think magic. Um, but it's not exactly realistic, because it takes place in an imaginary land. I mean, so it's, it's hard to place. but. Um, it also does partake of a certain sort of style that, that goes back to the books that i loved when i was a kid ursula Le earth sea series things like that so it, it it tries to richly imagine an imaginary place beyond that though the content is all real human life
0: so i'm it, i'm going to uh, pardon me uh, go ahead lisa oh i was just
1: also going to say um also you have to pick when you're publishing a book you have to pick a category is it a middle grade book is it a young adult book this book is appropriate for young readers but i also specifically intend it to be read by adults um and you know it's it's i didn't hold anything back with regards to style or complexity of story it's it's not a simple little jokey story it's a serious novel for advanced young readers and everybody older than that
0: so to your point, and buried in my talking points that I wanted to cover with you, Lisa, the magic that is there is legitimate leadership. We have a sort of a, a there's a power struggle, and it's magical how leadership rises up on the individual and the sort of the, the in a ruler's capacity. And I, I thought that was utter magic, and you really make sure we understand how a legitimate leader operates versus a uh, you know, an imposter. That's, that was magic to me. Thank you.
1: Um, that's a nice way to frame it. Um, I was, you know, the, the, the palace intrigue slash power struggle plotline um, is about a sort of a community of people trying to stand up to somebody who wants to be an autocratic leader. And um, <laughs> yes, it has something to do with how, you know, the situation that we find ourselves in our country today. Um, I wrote this book um, over the last five years, so, you know, I started it during the the administration of the person whose name I don't like to say, who was our president from 2016 to 2020. Um, And I was thinking about those things very much, indeed. So, um, it is about coalition across cultures, also, not just within one culture, but it's how people with from different backgrounds can come together when there's the threat of a sort of cruel autocratic rule,
0: and the magic is, without social media, the constituents emerge. I'm just want I I am not going to spoil anything. They emerge, and that that is also magic, and that and it it's a testament to how uh, people reach inside that they they can connect. And connect effectively and rise up where they are threatened.
1: Yes, and that was the, what there were two reasons I think that I wanted to set my story long ago at Far away. Um, one of them was I wanted to imagine a culture where children were raised without gender and got to choose. Um, and you know there's no cultures like that in the contemporary world, so I needed to imagine something that didn't exist. The other was, I didn't want to deal with the internet. I didn't want, I didn't want to have cell phones and the internet in my story, because um, they, they really do change everything. They change human interaction so drastically. Um, I wanted an old-school an old story of real people in a real place, interacting face-to-face in real time, and nothing beyond that, just humans being together.
0: And interacting at so many different paces, sort of intuitively, rapidly, sort of slow motion, calculating. I mean it was it's a it's it's really, it's really interesting. And that's why I'm really making sure we make this drive this point that it has there are elements for everybody. So I I speaking of back in the past and all that, you know, Lisa, as I was reading this early on, I thought in my head, I go, I wonder if the Trinity will come up the persistence of a three of arrangement of three things and it shows up i almost i almost had to kind of laugh i thought the the trinity is everywhere we can't it's even you were conscious of that you didn't bring it out right away but maybe into uh maybe some several chapters in there it was do you want to how how conscious were you of using the trinity because the trinity could call up a whole lot of other algorithms that are already set in people's heads lisa um
1: well you say the trinity i'm, I'm interested. with a little t inter- i'm sorry
0: t- trinity with a small t
1: yeah yeah um i, I prefer the phrase the threeness of things yes Um, To to keep it separate from the Christian trinity, I am not a practicing Christian. I'm a a Unitarian Universalist, a UU, as we say. Um, So I am a church-going human, um, but I am not a Christian. Um, I am, however, very interested in, um, I don't know, there's a lot of different ways to frame it. Um, These days I'm saying the elusive middle path. So I think in so many areas of human endeavor, um, there are these sort of two ideal endpoints which are not actually inhabitable by human people you I mean, and gender is an obvious choice. Um, I identify now as a non-binary person and I use they them pronouns because um, after going through a sort of traditional binary gender transition um, over the past 15 years I realized my journey was not yet finished and I was most comfortable in the middle I see masculinity and femininity as sort of ideals, philosophical or conceptual ideals, rather than places that are purely inhabitable by any human, I think we're all a little bit mixy, all a little bit trans, um, in that the actual humans that we are in our minds, our natural reactions to other people in the world, could map either onto masculinity or into femininity with more or less success. I don't think anybody's a pure man or a pure woman. I think we're all in the middle. And I see life as trying to exist in that elusive middle space between the ideal endpoints. So that's a 3 There's two endpoints, and then we exist in the middle. I, I feel the same way spiritually. I feel like we humans are mortal finite creatures that can nonetheless conceive of infinities. And so somehow we exist in a space between the finite and the infinite. Those are endpoints. Human existence is this kind of miraculous dance in the middle.
0: And the gender fluidity element throughout Almond, Quartz, and Finch is, uh, it's, it challenges your readers and sort of so, sorting out some identities because of how the, there are certain abstractions that people are continuing to learn more about. So it's, it's, it's an interesting challenge, and it's, that's, I think, what you're, you're bringing to the reader.
1: Well, I, and, you know, so, yeah, there's there's some gender thought, you know. There's some gender thought in the book. But it's also just supposed to be a fun story, an exciting story, you know.
0: That's oh, um, yes. What,
1: what's going to happen? What choices are going to be made? Um, who's going to win the power struggle? I've, all the books I've written have had, um, you know, thinking about identity in them. But it's never been the point. It's, I don't want to preach at it, people. It's not a teaching instrument. It's a what-if, it's, you know, it's an imagining. it's a novel. A novel is a, a, a sustained act of imagination. And I've always been fascinated uh, in my own reading by um, stories, people, when people imagine, what if there was this one thing, you know, starts with one what-if question. I'll give you a random example, it's not okay. a novel, it's a movie. Um, I love the movie Groundhog Day. And that starts with a single what-if. What if there was a person We've got stuck in an endless time loop and then everything that happens after that is human story you know there's no more magic he doesn't turn into a superhero you know he just he just grows a little bit he learns the character learns over the long term so i love a story that starts with one fantastical what if and then works out with real human characters what would really happen in that situation and that's what i've tried to create here
0: and and I want to mention that it comes across the gender fluidity is a part of, the, it comes through over the roles that individuals are playing. Gender fluidity in occupations, you know, in this, there is a, a hierarchy. Uh, the gender fluidity in the leadership and all the relationships. So it's it, it it's, a, it's a really interesting element. I, I want to also just bring out that, ableism is also turned on its head and it's a it's it's a very interesting part where uh, we understand all the senses that anyone any one individual may be able to uh, to employ in negotiating a scene whether a pleasurable or threatening scene that's where ableism takes over uh, you're addressing ableism and talking about the range of senses that people are able to use
1: um, there's there's one, one of the main characters um, is missing a hand, um, and I don't ever explain why. It's just an element of, of that person, of that character's situation. Um, and it was really important to me, um, aside from being um, a novel about gender identity, this is also a novel about introversion. The main character, Almond, is a thorough introvert. Um, Almond finds other humans to be really challenging. Just ordinary everyday interactions are a lot of work, and Vo is um, easily overwhelmed. Vo um, has sort of coping strategies for dealing with um, the presence of other humans, and has to go away and be alone afterwards. Um, so I really, and that was, to, uh, that's that's somewhat of a self-portrait. Um, I was mm. a very shy and private kid when I was um, when I was little, and one of several reasons that it took me so long to figure out my gender identity and claim a truer, a truer sort of gender path for myself in the world was I was too shy and I was content to be alone. I mean, I knew from birth on, or it was, it was it, in retrospect, it was obvious from birth on that I made much more sense as a female person than a male person. If I had to choose one of the binary choices, girl and woman was a much more natural choice for me than boy and man. But and I tried a few times in very tentative ways early on, to sort of signal that to the people around me, to my parents, to the world, and it was routinely suppressed. They didn't even understand what I was saying. They just, you know, everybody was completely immersed in binary thinking, and it was it didn't make sense to to approach living as a gendered person in any other way. And I was just trying to say, can i can I try those earrings, mommy, or something?" And what I was asking was, can I please exist as a feminine person in the world? And the answer was, no, of course not. You're a boy, um, and that's all it took for shy, introverted me to just sort of shut down. And then once I did that, um, I found I liked it pretty well inside my little, you know, my little cell inside my brain, looking out through the barred window and watching what the humans were doing. I didn't mind being alone inside myself. Um, Eventually, in the long run, I realized I was really lonely and that I wanted actual real human connection and more light and air than I had where I was. And I needed to break out and finally sort of assert myself and claim something more than I had had before. Um, But yes, the book is very much about how in different ways all of us face challenges making our way through the world based on, the bodies that we were given and the mm-hmm. sort of minds or, or or modes of existence that we have when we are born.
0: Well, maybe I'll just go out on a little limb. Not being your therapist, Lisa, but in, perhaps the introversion was at the beginning of teaching you to become such an amazing writer. I'm mean, an observer to become a great writer. So that that's that's a. The struggle you went through had these kinds of dividends for, for perhaps yourself and for certainly for us.
1: I appreciate the compliment, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I, re- I have a clear memory of when I was maybe six or seven. I was already fascinated by writing and by, by stories and writing. And I remember realizing that you could just be this kind of detached eye in the world. You could just be an observer. And thinking that was wicked cool. And I'll just do that.
0: Yeah. And, and we're able to get through and cope better with that. So for those of you who've just joined us, my guest for the full hour is Lisa Bunker, writer, transgender activist, former New Hampshire state legislator, and fellow community radio aficionado. She's, they are based now in Sacramento. They are currently on the book tour circuit with their latest book, Almond, Quartz, and Finch. Published by New Wind. Well, I want to. So you said the names were made up in the language. So I'm. If you could, if it's, I don't believe it's a spoiler. It's just sort of, sort of privileged background. The where, where did the names, some of the language that you developed, where did, where were you sort of coming from there?
1: Um, I have taken a, a an interest in what are called. Um, these days online, conlangs, constructed languages um, for many years off and on. Um, I was a huge fan of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien's work when they first came out. Um, And um, he invented whole languages. He was a linguist at Oxford University, and he started his world imagining with his languages. He first, he was interested in Elvish, and he created Elvish. Um, I read once that he seriously considered writing The Lord of the Rings in Elvish, um, which I think is fascinating to me. you know, it's just he, he was so unconcerned with you know fame and hitting the big time as an mm-hmm. author that he um just you know, he seriously thought of just writing the book in his own private language instead. Um, I'm so glad he he chose English. Um, it was It was better for the rest of us.
0: Yeah, um, yes, exactly.
1: In any case, I've always loved how authentic middle Earth Tolkien's middle Earth feels because of how real the languages feel. They feel real because they are real. Um, I didn't actually, I have two languages at Almond Courts and Finch. So the main characters are um, members of a culture where children are raised without gender. But to make the sort of the story drama more interesting, I made them refugee servants in another unwelcoming culture. And each of these cultures has its own language. Um, and I didn't actually want to construct two whole languages with grammar and syntax and vocabulary. But in the conlang world, there's various tools for sort of generating languages. And so I found yes. a tool, it's, uh, the website's called zompist.com. And um, it, c- you can give it rules, you can give it phonetic rules for altering existing languages into new languages. And so I used that. Um, and so the Nezel language um, in the book is Hungarian. Oh. Beyond Recognition. Um, I mean, not, it's not, it isn't Hungarian. It's, it started. It started from the seed of Hungarian and then um, i morphed it beyond recognition. Um, And the other one is Italian. So, um, and then then I used this tool and came up with cool sounding words and picked the ones I liked. Um, And the original drafts had way more language in them, but various editors said, only a few people are gonna find this amusing. You better take some of it out, so.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay. Lisa, there is a ritual that you develop in the story it's called naming and naming is naming uh, an identity and i want to restrict it and as i read the book i was thinking that naming is a, a choice the individual makes it's a kind of a it's a, a certainly it's it's a private sort of reckoning but it, it is a public ritual and i'm wondering if bringing making this naming right the the weight the importance of it the reverence toward it if in the back the subplot in in your mind lisa is what are we doing with gender reveals the fetus is still hanging in the uterus but and that's the choices and, and i actually when i had my firstborn i did not know the gender this was back well way back decades ago and i thought you know I don't want to know the gender because there's going to be all this projection already. And I didn't know you're going to come along with this terrific storyline about the right of naming. So, were you thinking of gender reveals when you're talking about? No, 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 no. Here's where that gender situation is is reckoned with.
1: Yeah, you could say that. I mean, not not just gender reveals, but um, our our cultural fascination with the biological sex of unborn babies is the beginning of um, this sort of lifelong indoctrination that we all go through in the gender binary. From before birth, a new human is entering the world, and based on early information, we have an idea that this is a masculine human or a feminine human, and we have pink or blue you know, powder popping out of balloons before the child was even born, and we're, we're selecting toys and clothes. Before the child even enters the world, we are beginning the process of of enforcing our perception of that child's gender on that child it starts before birth and it's relentless it's it's in everyday interactions um we all go through them every day where our gender is um policed and and enforced by other people um it's in the media it's everywhere it's pervasive it is it is it is the broth we are all simmering in and um so I wanted to imagine, I mean, you know, I'm not alone. I'm not the first person, and I'm not alone to try to think about gender differently, but I wanted to imagine a culture where um, somebody came along and said, we have absolutely got to stop doing this. We've got to raise our children completely without gender, and at a certain, at a certain stage in their lives, let them choose. Um, and so uh, the characters in the Nestle, um culture are given child names, which are ungendered, um, and they are the names of sort of everyday objects. So Almond and quartz are the names of characters. Almond Quartz and Finch are all the names of characters, and they're all just sort of they're they placeholder names until a, a human is grows old enough to say, "This is who I know myself to be as a gendered person, and this is the name that I want to carry into the world." I wrote the first draft of this book five years ago, huh. and. If I was writing it again now, I would do that differently. Even just in the last five years, communal thinking about gender and my own thinking about gender has changed. And so I wouldn't make that same choice. I wouldn't, I, I'm, I'm less certain that one choice and you're done is the best model for how we should do gender. Um, my understanding of gender has evolved to a place where I see masculinity and femininity as social roles as collections of social roles, because there's many sort of acceptable modes of each. And I think we are born ungendered, and you know, the default is we are enforced into one set of roles, but if we break free from that enforcement and indoctrination, we can claim a radical freedom to perform gender any way we want. We can change it as often as we want. We can say no gender, we can say all genders, we can do something different tomorrow. Um, it once you really look at, you sort of logically examine the idea that it's, um, that gender is flexible and optional, you can really just completely break free of it. Um, for, for In my life, I was raised as um, a boy. I was taught that I needed to be a man in the world. It felt really awkward and wrong and stupid to me, but it felt like it was my only choice. I didn't know I had another choice, so I did it for 45 years. Eventually, I got so sick of feeling like I was locked up inside myself that I broke free, but I was still thinking in a binary way, and so I claimed womanhood in the world, and I did everything I could to turn myself into the conventional binary understanding of that, and I just sort of pushed as hard as I could into femininity, and I felt like I had natural strengths and aspects of myself that I had to give up or suppress to do that. So I swung from one extreme to the other. And, it, and I had wanted to for so long that for a while that felt really, really good. It was necessary. It was, if I hadn't done it, I would have self-destructed somehow. So I had to do that. But I was still stuck in binary thinking. Eventually, after I had lived and been accepted by the world as a woman, I realized there's parts of this I don't like very much either. Um, mm. For example, my voice. I have a very deep voice. I went through male puberty. I have a a bass voice, and I tried unsuccessfully for many years to achieve a voice that would sound like a woman's voice on the phone, on the radio, or just meeting somebody. And I finally realized, to heck with that, this is me. This is my voice. I am the human I am. This is what I sound like, Um, and I want the freedom to just talk. I don't want to have to change my voice to fit people's expectations of how I should sound based on the clothes that I'm wearing or the pronouns that I use. Uh, I can be mixy. I'm totally allowed to be mixy. I can be a non-binary person who was born male, still named Lisa. I also didn't choose a new name, a non-binary name. I have a conventionally feminine name. I sing bass two in a local choir. I have claimed my voice. By going non-binary, I have claimed the right to use all of my natural strengths without concerns about how they play in an old, bad, binary way of thinking.
0: Thank you. Thank goodness for the fortitude you've maintained to get through all of those ordeals and provide such creative and intentional work. So this is a, an invitation. Now, this is a, we've got to talk about a reading. Have you selected something, Lisa, that you can take out of uh, Almond Quartz and Finch? Sure. Um,
1: I like to read something different each time. So oh, I've, cool. I've picked um, i picked an early chapter. I already talked about almonds being an introvert. One of the ways Almond copes um, with the presence of other humans in their life is, though um, carries in a pocket a little collection of seed pods from a certain tree i was I curious about
0: that what that seed pod was, was
1: little fiddle items just um just something to something to touch and hold when when bo is struggling to be with other people so um bo calls them tree eggs in their own mind mm-hmm. and um, this is a scene where bo has run out of tree eggs and is going down to the river bend to gather some more the morning after rehearsal, on the way to report for duty, almonds heard from a tearful young servant, with the fresh mark of a blow on her face, that Lork was once again the overseer of daily tasks. Almonds turned aside. Better to risk punishment later for failing to report for duty, Bo felt, than to endure meddlesome cruelty today. Also, there was the matter of the nearly empty tree egg pocket. both slipped out of a minor side gate and away into the desert. A brisk walk down river lay a bend between mounting hillsides where, even in the unrelenting heat of high summer, green rushes and a few tender trees grew along the wet sandbar borders of the water. Long-legged white wading birds could be seen there, as well as a compact little stone of a bird, stripes blue and white, that hurtled from bank to bank, peeling out a raucous call. Here could also be heard if there was any wind at all a sound rare and precious in that arid place, Mm. the rustle of leaves whispering in air that carried the cool caress of the river's moisture. Each time Vo entered this blessed green place, Almonds enacted a ceremony. First Vo went to the water's edge to stand with eyes closed, breathing and listening. Next Vo knelt in the river rounded pebbles and dark wet sand to scoop up handfuls of water to drink. For though it might seem that Vaux never sweated or became otherwise bothered in the heat, Vaux felt thirst the same as any other being. Once the body's need was met, Vaux stood again and scanned from one end of the visible stretch of water to the other, searching out the flittings of life. There, a tall brown bird stalking through the reeds. There, a ring on the water. There, a cloud of midges dancing in the sunlight. Each new sighting brought fresh joy. Only once these sacred gestures were complete did Vo return to the speckled shade of the tree-ache tree to lie with their back propped against its trunk and begin sifting through the rock-strewn dirt for the talismans, Vo sought. In spring, the seed pods were a light green, and when pressed, they crumpled softly rather than crackling. By this time of summer, browned and dried, they nestled between pebbles, and there were markedly fewer than when they first littered the ground in a nubby carpet, but almonds knew their ways and had no trouble harvesting a pocketful. This task completed, Volé lay back, sighed and slipped into a doze, watching flash and gloom dance behind their closed eyelids as the fitful desert wind moved the branches overhead.
0: Thank you so very much, Lisa. Lisa Bunker, just reading an excerpt from Almond Quartz and Finch, published by New Wind, and we'll get some details about any kind of book tour coming this way, but i hearing that very literary piece that you just offered, I still think that your book is very cinematic. There's sort of screenplay potential I, that I was reading into that. Had it occurred to you that this is this is ready for a film?
1: I think all my books would be great movies.
0: <laughs> okay, well then, are you ta- are you talking to anybody? Are you, I'm serious.
1: Well, you know, you're being generous in your assumptions. No,
0: um, I'm not. I'm like, being honest. Yeah.
1: No, but but I'm I'm, I'm I want to tell you a hard truth about the biz. Um, It is incredibly difficult to get anybody to pay serious attention to your work, certainly people who make movies. It's it's a tough business. Um, There are so many people making stories now in every medium. One of the reasons it took five years to publish Almond, Quartz, and Tinch is that I tried for about three or four of those years without success to sell it to major publishers. I do have two books from Viking. Um, so my, my books Felix Is and Zenobia in July were published by major publishers. And I've written a couple of other books that I, I was approached to write by major publishers. So I sort of established myself mm-hmm. and then people came looking for me for certain projects. But as far as my own original work, all of my success in that world was based on one person, an editor at Viking who liked the manuscript of my first published book, Felix Is. Um, He bought it, he published it, he bought my second book, and we were in the process of publishing it, and he left. He went back to business school, and I was assigned a new editor who dutifully finished with me, but didn't understand what I was doing, and then was not interested in any other projects that I pitched. So it's hard to break into mainstream publishing. Even if you have a book published with mainstream publishing, it doesn't guarantee you're going to publish another one it doesn't guarantee that anybody's going to take an interest in the possibility of making a film out of your book or a TV show. Um, I, I, I am a dedicated, committed writer. Um, It's, it's what I was born to do, I think, but I'm seriously considering maybe my next project is going to be trying to start a YouTube channel or something, because I read, you know, I spent five years publishing a book and we sold a couple hundred copies and um, nobody's, Nobody's noticing. Um, and I've gotten used to that. I understand it's not because it's a bad book, but it's just because there's this constant tsunami of new work coming out, and how do you get mm-hmm. people to notice your thing when it's one of a dozen books, you know, it's not just books that came out. Almonds there was there was a I I got mentioned in a blog post the day that I was published and it's it was the title was Twelve New Books, Twelve New Rainbow Books for Young Readers Coming Out Today. So on that single day, there were 11 other books that came out that had LGBTQ content for young readers. That's what I'm up against. That's what we're all up against. Um, it's such a crowded field; um, it, it can be daunting.
0: Well, I guess I'm gonna just file away, and as I have random collisions, whether digitally or in real life, Lisa, I know. We're, I know this is gonna this is going to make it to film somehow. So, I, it's not, I'm not pining. I'm just, I, I just want to see this in film. It's so cinematic when I was reading that. So I I would like to know, are you going to be on a book tour anywhere near Southern California in the next while?
1: Um, unfortunately not. Um, there's, there's, I mean, a book tour these days is um, a sort of old school extravagance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um um, most promotional efforts happen online. Um so I have published some guest blog posts, and I'm being interviewed by podcasts and so on like that. Um, but uh, you know, sort of getting in touch with a random bookstore in a random city and saying, "Hey, okay. you know let me come and find book. even in my own hometown, um I held an event at a bookstore to launch this, and we had six people show up. So, and you know, and I had canvassed all my friends, and it just it's so hard to get people to show up um in person for a live book launch these days again i i I find myself wondering if if books is my is book writing is the best way to be a content creator these days
0: so okay i'll go hop off from that point and talking about your intentions let's look at your expansive career in radio production in publishing in legislative service, how? And this is sort of the expansive question. It's a mouthful, but I I want to see how all of these things, all of these creative and political pursuits, how they are giving you an opportunity. How you're directing that into, let's say, extending a lifeline, building a social safety net for uh, for trans members of, in our yeah. in our community that are threatened their very existences are threatened and how especially now with the challenge of the public goods that are being yanked out from under their feet so maybe this is sort of giving you a, a kind of the the platform to say how all these things give you an opportunity like nobody else
1: right yeah i find myself uniquely positioned to try to Stand up for the transgender and non-binary people in our culture to be a spokesperson, um, a, you know, an activist, somebody trying to make a difference. And I think the main way to do that is to share stories. So the trans and non-binary people among us have become in the last five years one of the punching bags of the alt-right. Um, the, there's a sort of constant manufactured outrage machine over there Um, they need new sort of amped up false narratives to keep their base um afraid and riled up and so all of these awful lies these outright fabrications are being trotted out again um they were used back in the day against gay people i mean everything that 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 is being said by the right-wing media about trans people now was said by Um, Anita Bryant and other people like her in the 70s about gay people and it's all completely false. It's all just, um, it's fear mongering is what it is. It's people attempting to manipulate other humans through artificial fear. Um, So they pick a small marginalized misunderstood group, somebody whose approach to living makes lots of other people um, vaguely uncomfortable or they're not sure how to deal with it and then they turn us into monsters in their narratives um, and they use that to to um, accrue to themselves and keep political and social power. And so this is this is the sustained attack that we non uh, you know gender nonconforming humans are up against. And the answer to it is to tell true stories about our lives. Um, and i've I've seen this work over and over again in activism and politics. It's an individual narrative that reaches through the layers of, political gamesmanship and defenses, and reaches and touches a person, human to human, that actually gets people to see it differently. That's how we won marriage, finally, same-sex marriage in our country, by telling stories and helping enough of the vast, movable middle of voters who are uncomfortable but willing to listen still, that they knew somebody who would be badly affected by this bill, you know, a cousin, a friend, a neighbor, Um, A relative of somebody that they knew you know know, they they, they have have the right wing media telling them you know trans people are are these scary monsters but if um, the person who cuts their hair is trans and they like that person and they they sort of learn a little bit about their life then they will realize those stories can't be true because you know Alex is really nice Um, so it's human connection and stories that resist the sort of objectification and dehumanization of those fear-mongering narratives and that arc in the long term towards increased acceptance and justice for a, a group of people who are in danger of being in the worst case scenario, scenarios suppressed or eradicated um i am a privileged person a lot my my own living situation is comfortable and secure i am safe and i have experience and knowledge and skills and i feel like I'm just looking for the most effective way to get trans and non-binary narratives out there, to stand up and speak for my community. Um, And, you know, I've done a lot of different things, in part because some of them haven't worked out very well. And so I'm Mm -hmm. looking for the most effective way still. I was an okay legislature, legislator. I wasn't great at it. Um, I was too introverted. I wasn't, you know. Oh. I didn't, you know, I'm I'm proud of what I did. I, I, I think I served ably. And I was effective. And just by being there, I, I, I caused, I forced all the rest of my, the legislatures who were serving alongside me to deal with the fact of transgender people in their lives. I made an important difference, but I didn't want to stay unless I could be really effective at it. And I, I paid attention to how the the best among us were functioning and they were intensely social. They were building sort of coalitions and friendships over time. And I just, I was I, I like, i'm like almond in the story other humans Mm -hmm, are a lot mm -hmm. for me um so it wasn't my best i'm 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 a creative activist-minded person looking for my best outlet and politics wasn't it um and i don't know well representation
0: there was there was representation that was a a big policy contribution there so it was
1: a huge and you know and I, I, i i supported some bills and i opposed some other bills i did good work but I didn't feel like it was the best use of my energies and time, so I'm still looking for that.
0: So, to the point you're talking about, how trans identities have been punching bags for the all right, There is a also as pernicious element of that I'm certainly in, uh, exposed to is the wedge factor amongst um, you know cis individuals, and some people don't even like the word cis being used, so there are progressive associations in my circle, professional or uh, social per, and personal, but that, that wedge where people are trying to figure out what they think about trans identity. So there's, there's a number of different kinds of pernicious elements in interacting about this. I just wanted to bring that, that added. There, there
1: are. I mean, an astonishing thing has happened in the last 15 years. A, a critical mass of people has finally spoken up and said hey this this idea that we've all just taken for granted all of our lives that there's only men and women and that's based on your bodies at birth is just completely wrong. It's not true. And that is an unsettling notion for everybody. I mean, that's a really big new way of thinking. Yes, it is. And I think I think what we're going through right now is collectively, as a culture, we're trying to come to terms with that. And it's going to take decades to fully work through what this means and how we're going to integrate it into the way we live together. I am optimistic that in the long run, um, it's gonna, it's, the arc is going to favor inclusion, acceptance, most people finding a way to at least be comfortable With this new, more expansive understanding of how gender works, and we can just sort of slowly settle into a new normal, um, which is different from how it was before in a good way. Um, And I am, I am very afraid of what's going to happen in the twenty twenty four election.
0: Well, that's a whole that's a whole other show, Lisa. We can't. uh, Yeah, but I but what I want to sort interject is though that just the same thing in race relations is that people not be afraid of making mistakes go ahead make the mistakes own mistakes uh, sign on to the messy exercise ahead there, there's there is imperfection, and that's a that, that's a whole different non-binary as being right and wrong right so i'm it's like i i stumbled once on a pronoun usage in this interview and i didn't own it right in the moment but i i'm owning it right here I, but i didn't even notice <laughs> oh, what well, i did i did i count i'm keeping a uh, tags here but so it's it's if people understand you can be messy just be aware be learning and then uh, you know, we'll slog through this as, as long as it's yes. going to take. Well, I've, I agree. So, Lisa, I so congratulate you on this latest publication. I've already said I'll repeat myself. It's a marvel of a read. I want everyone to have a listen. Um, have Well, listen, are you going to do this on tape?
1: It is. It exists as an audio book. I, I recorded it myself.
0: Oh, oh, that's that's uh, great. Well, I want to thank you for your time today on Ask a Leader. It's it's, this has been just wonderful.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's been it's been fun to make community radio again. So much cool. so much.
0: Okay, thank you. My guest was Lisa Bunker, writer, transgender activist, former New Hampshire state legislator and fellow community radio aficionado based now in sacramento they're currently on the well it's a virtual we'll look for virtual book circuits and the latest book being almond quartz and finch published by new win available on their website of the same name or your favorite independent book dealer we've got a minute we can check back in with Melissa any any reactions in your uh, in your radio it's kind of a radio debut you're here yeah um, I really enjoyed it it was really enthralling to listen to to kind of just sit and watch you know you do your work Um, and coming from someone whose family's in radio and things like that it was really interesting to see kind of the behind the scenes and that kind of thing And yeah, the book sounds really interesting. And as an avid reader, honestly, I'm going to check it out. It sounds very. We got a sale today. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 All right. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for joining me. I love it when I get to be with interns. It's my catnip. (laughs) Right up there near the top. (laughs) Well, this is my wrap. Next week, my guest will be Natasha Frolova, crisis psychologist from Dnipro State University in Ukraine who's in residence with UCI's trauma social scientist, Roxanne Silver. Thank you for listening, everyone. Talk with you next week. Meanwhile, have some good talks this week.